Exodus 9, starting at verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that by my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore sin, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. <coughs> Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the heavens so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff towards heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail. And fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as never been in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field, and all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail? Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall, no longer st and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out of my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord, God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, so for they were late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord. And the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show, I may show these signs of, of mine among them. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son of your, and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to them, Thus does the Lord, 
the God of the Hebrews. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts in your country, and they shall cover the face of the land, so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. And they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day that they came on the earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve their, the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron went, were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord, Lord your God, but which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, the Lord be with you, if, I, if ever I let you go and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil, evil purpose in mind. No, go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for, what, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt, and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all the day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled in the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts had never been before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them to, into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in the country of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to them, Get away from me, 
Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. I wonder what Israel was thinking during all of this. We have Pharaoh, again, the most powerful man in the world at this time, oppressing the people of Israel, putting heavy burdens on them, trying to have their children <clears throat> killed. And now these plagues are coming upon them and Pharaoh still won't let the people go. And calamity upon calamity comes upon the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh still won't let the people go. And I wonder if they might have asked the same question many people ask today. If God is really in control and if God is good then why doesn't he act in judgment? Why doesn't he bring all this to a close? I mean, seriously, I've heard that, that so many times, and it really matters the way you answer this question. If God is good and in control, then why is there so much evil, calamity, and chaos in the world? I mean, many people, uh, maybe even Christians, answer that question not, not very well, and it causes them to lack faith in God and not worship him the way he deserves. Well, I mean, I, I kind of I hope God has got this. I hope God is good, but they're always a little bit suspicious, always a little bit leery about the details there. And as you probably know and have seen around you, there are some people who have said, I refuse to believe that there is a God with all this evil in the world. But I wanna tell you something today. If you know how to answer that question rightly, how can there be a good sovereign God and all this evil still be in the world? If you know how to answer that question rightly, it will help you to have an increased faith and admiration and adoration of God. And it will give you peace in this life and it will help you to live with purpose. And so it really is important that you know the answer to that question. If God is good, if God is sovereign, how can there be so much evil in this world? Wouldn't a good God just bring things to a close, judge evil, make all things right? Well, what I see in the Passover is sort of a paradigm. It's a grid. It's a a perspective to help us understand how God works in the world in relation to sin and sinful people. And what we'll see is if this is the way God acted uh, in, in Egypt all those years ago, thousands of years ago, then that is the way he is acting now, working now, and it is the way he will work in the final days. This is a paradigm for us to help us understand the calamity we see around us, the evil we see around us. And it will help us to understand as things increase and get 
worse. The first thing we need to learn from these last three plagues before the Passover, so there are 10 plagues, there's kind of three sets of three, and then there's the 10th, the Passover, and we've just done uh, number seven through nine. That's what we just read. And there are some very important things we need to learn from it that will help us to answer that question about a good and sovereign God with all this evil in the world. The first thing I believe we see in, in these plagues is number one, the end is set. The end is fixed. It is immovable. You know, there, there are some people who look around at the world and say, okay, there's all this evil, there's all this calamity. And, and the problem is that, is that God's not really like fully in control. Sure, he's God, sure, he's king, sure, he's Lord. But, you know, there are free beings in the world, right? There are humans who have the ability to make choices. Therefore, God cannot really know what's going to happen in the world. This is called open theism, meaning the end of the story is open. It could change. And they would think of things like the book of Revelation as wishful thinking of God, <laughs> put down in his notes. This is the way I hope things will turn out. But what we see in the Exodus is the exact opposite of that is true. The end is set for Pharaoh and his followers. And it is immovable because God already had a plan for the way all of this would go. All of the Exodus events, all of his evil, all of this calamity, God had a plan. And I think we see this like pointed out right there in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 9. Notice what it says. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh, And say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. What I want to point out is that God said, this time I will send all my plagues on you. There's a a shift that has taken place in the way that God is speaking. And I would say, as as Moses is hearing these things, there's a shift that's taking place in the mind of Moses. Okay, all the plagues are going to come upon Pharaoh. Like, this is going to happen. This is the direction things are going to go. And so, even the way that Moses begins to deal with Pharaoh shifts in these, uh, you know, 7th through ninth plagues. I'll just kind of tell you, I'm obviously not going to read the whole thing again, uh, but in the seventh plague, this plague of of hail, there is no if-then statement. You know what an if-then statement is? If you don't do this, then this is going to happen. If you don't let my people go, then hail is going to come upon the earth. But there's no no if-then statement. Moses simply says, the hail is going to come upon you about this time tomorrow. That's what he goes into Pharaoh. He just tells him, here's what's going to happen. God is going to send all his plagues. In the eighth plague and ninth plague, this, there's the same uh, movement. Uh, in the eighth plague, it's kind of funny uh, when I read it, uh, but there is an if-then statement. 
Okay, if you don't let the people go, then locusts will invade your country. But then, uh, look at this at the end of verse 16. I have no idea what I've done. Anyways, at the end there, it says, but as for you and your, sorry, I'm so far ahead. Then Moses turned and went out from Pharaoh. Now I know what I've done. Then Moses turned and went out from Pharaoh. So he gives this, if you don't do this, then this, the locusts are going to come upon you. Then he just turns and walks out. He doesn't even give Pharaoh the opportunity to respond. Why? Because he already knows the way things are going to go. That was that last verse that I forgot to mention. He said this after the last plague, after the the hail. Pharaoh says, make it stop. Make this stop. I've sinned. I know. Uh, Make it stop. But uh, this is how uh, Moses responds. But as for you and your servants and your people, or sorry, but as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. He knows this. He knows it. So he goes ahead and prays to God and the plague ends, but he knows that Pharaoh has not yet turned in repentance, turned from rebellion to God. So in the eighth plague, he gives an if then, but then just turns and walks out. In the ninth plague, the plague of darkness, there's no warning. It doesn't even bother with a warning. It says in uh, chapter 10, verses 21 to 22, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. So there's no warning. There's no ultimatum, no plea for Pharaoh to let the people go. God simply has the plague come. Why? Because the end is set. These plagues are going to happen. Pharaoh is going to be defeated. He is going to be judged by these plagues. And one day, and we'll get there, uh, Pharaoh will face ultimate, final judgment. So in the mind of God, and slowly now in the mind of Moses, Pharaoh's end is set. Now let's think about this for a moment Uh, with us in in the world we live in. How can we know that the end is truly set? And I'm talking about the end of this present time, this evil age that we live in. How do we know the day of the Lord is coming and that it will be completed the way God says it will be? I'll give you two things, how we can know that it is set uh, for the end of time and for Satan and his followers, just like it was for Pharaoh. First, Satan's fate has been set since the fall. Most of you uh, remember this. You know, uh, Satan tempts Adam and Eve uh, to sin against God, to follow him in rebellion. And this is what God says to Satan afterward. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We call this the first gospel. The first time God proclaims the good news that there will be a savior, he shall bruise your head. And this savior will deal out the mortal blow to Satan, sin, and all that he stands for. This mortal blow, he will, he will bruise your head, this will kill you. Yeah, you'll, you'll strike his heel, you'll bruise his heel. 
but he will deal the mortal blow. So this was told at the very beginning, at the fall of mankind. Did God keep his word? Did things happen the way he said it would? What well, was Jesus's heel bruised? This is the he, the offspring. Yes, his heel was bruised. He was nailed to a cross, but it wasn't a mortal blow to him. He physically died for three days, but on that third day, he rose again victorious over Satan's sin and death. In that day, he defanged Satan. He dealt that mortal blow. Satan is still alive, if you will, but he is writhing. He is ultimately powerless. And that was set since Genesis 3.15, right after the fall of mankind. God said it and then God did it. And then we follow that with... God has decreed the final days. So God decreed that Satan's defeat would come in Jesus, and it did. And now we see in the Bible that God has decreed the final days. You can think about uh, the latter chapters of the book of Daniel. You can think about many of the prophets, really. And think about Matthew 24. And then most famously, you can think about the book of Revelation, where God spells out, here are the way things are going to go. Now, I will concede to you that God spells it out in ways that are hard to understand, the imagery that's used. It's unclear to me exactly how the end is going to happen. But one thing's for sure, the end is coming. Satan and his followers will face their doom. God will overcome evil with good. He will restore all things. We will dwell in the land of righteousness with God, uh, Christ Jesus as our king in his presence. This will happen. But you know what's interesting about that end that God has decreed? It won't come peacefully. The exodus... Israel out of Egypt does not come peacefully. There are these 10 plagues. And the end times, the crushing, the final uh, defeat of Satan and the final uh, defeat of evil and, and just cleansing the world will not come peacefully. It's actually interesting if you do a comparison between, uh, you know, you have the seven seals, you have the seven trumpets, you have the seven bowls. If you read through what those are in Revelation that will be poured out on earth, there is incredible similarity to the plagues that happen in Egypt. You have the water will be turned to blood. You have hail, about 100 pounds, by the way. Uh, you have <clears throat> frog creatures will come out. You have locusts. Uh, swarming the earth, you have sores on uh, those who worship the beast, and you have darkness before the end comes. The end is set. It is coming. Just like Christ did come, like it said in Genesis 3.15, it would, and that he would deal that mortal blow to Satan. The end will come just like it says in Revelation, in Matthew 24, and Daniel, and the prophets. It will happen. None of it will be a surprise to God. Whatever you may think about this world that we live in, the evil, the calamity, we should never think that any of it is outside of God's control. He is sovereign over it all. You know what it means to know that God's in control? We'll, we'll, we're gonna keep building on this, but I, I want you to see it now. 
to know that God is in control and that Jesus is your Savior and God the Father is your Father and that the end is set means that you can have peace. Whatever comes, it will not ultimately harm you. What a beautiful truth. You know, um, I, I got a new van uh, recently and we had a lot of trouble getting insurance on it. Just with it being a conversion uh, van, it's hard to insure those things. And so uh, for, for like a, a few days or whatever, I was basically driving without insurance. I was just on like the minimum insurance that I could get on the vehicle. And those were scary days for me. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I'm just like, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to get T-boned and... You know, I didn't get my, my insurance, you know, lined up. I, I, and, but when I finally got full coverage, everything, you know, all of a sudden this peace, okay. Even if this thing gets hurt, it, it won't ultimately harm. Let me just tell you, that's a van, burn it. It's, it's all good. It's just stuff. That is infinitely more true for my soul and for your soul, that you can lay your head down on your pillow, that you can have trials and waves assault you, but you can know I am safe in the Lord. The end is set. It's going to come the way he said it would. It will come in his good timing and you can have peace because of it. It's a little trite to, to compare heaven and, and God's plan to insurance, but I mean, it's just, we can have peace. We can have peace through it all because God is in control. Now, it's interesting though. You say, okay, if God's really in control here in Exodus, right? We're, we're studying the plagues and the, the release of Israel. If God's really in control, then why doesn't God just put an end to it? Why doesn't God just say, okay, fight over, they're out? And we could say the same for Satan and his followers and all the evil and calamity in this world. Why doesn't God just put an end to it? Why didn't he long ago? This, I think, will show us not only the the sovereignty, the power of God, but also his goodness. I want you to see this. This is number two, the end is extended. And I want you to know that it was extended. And right now, our world, it is extended. This is what we see uh, in, in verse 16, or sorry, 15 rather. God says this to, to Pharaoh, for by now I could have put, my, put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. What's God saying? Kid, we're doing an arm wrestling match, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm letting you feel like you're winning, right? You know, I could slam your arm down at any time. Come on, dads, you've been there. I mean, literally God's saying, I could wipe you. And by the way, in the Hebrew, it's, it's not only the idea of wiping them physically like death, it's even wiping their memory off the face of the earth. That's how well I could wipe you, Pharaoh, and you, Egypt, out, as I could wipe your memory off the face of this earth. I could have already done that. For by now, I could have done this. But why hasn't he? Why does God extend the end? Well, we see this in the next verse. But for this purpose, I have raised you up, Pharaoh, to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. 
God has a better plan than just to bring the end. God has a better plan than just to pour out his judgment. God has a better plan than just to quickly restore all things as nice as that would be. God has a better plan for this purpose. I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Hang with me here because this is good news about a good God. Here is the wisdom of God's plan here. By extending the end with Pharaoh here, God is expanding the opportunity to show his glorious power. By by drawing it out, he's able to draw a better picture of how glorious and how great he is. And by doing that, his name will be proclaimed in all the earth. People would see the glory of God. They would see that he is the only one who can save, that he is the only one who can satisfy, that he is the only one who can provide and protect. They would see that, they would love it, and they would cling to him. We talked about this uh, earlier, but um, later on we'll see that there's a mixed multitude that go out with Israel. That is, some of the Egyptians, we don't know how many, but some of the Egyptians say, we want what they've got. We want the God that they have. Why? Because God extended the end. God could have judged Egypt right there at the beginning, and those people, along with the rest of Egypt, would have been wiped off the face of the earth and under God's fiery wrath. But because God extended the end, they saw God's power, and they trusted in Him. Now, that's true for those Egyptians who who were able to cling to God and and come into faith and come into knowing Him, a knowing relationship with Him. But have you ever thought about how this plan is good for you? This is a good plan for you. If God had poured out His justice in fullness 6,000 years ago, there would have been no Jesus and no Savior for sin. All humanity that had sinned against God would have simply been cast into hell. There would have been no covering. There would have been no taking away, no bearing, substitute bearing of their punishment, no Jesus, no salvation. So God extended the end. If God had poured out his justice 2,000 years ago, right after Jesus did that sin-bearing work on the cross and right after he rose from the dead victorious, then you wouldn't have even existed yet. You wouldn't now have the opportunity to trust him, to know him, and to spend all eternity worshiping and enjoying him. Nope. What about this? What if you were born, but you hadn't yet trusted in Christ? You were still lost in your sin and darkness, still under the wrath of God. And God said, now. Now's the time. I'm bringing justice. I'm renewing all things, restoring all things, and evil, they're going to get what, what's coming to them. That, that wouldn't be good. I personally am thankful that God waited until after, I don't know exactly when I got saved, if it was when I was a little kid or when, when I was 21-ish. I'm thankful. I am infinitely thankful that God didn't take me or didn't take this world down earlier. Listen to the way Peter puts it. 
in 2 Peter uh, 3, verses 8 through 10, and then uh, verse 15. Listen to this. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, is talking about the end, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. That is, they'll be judged. But look at verse 15. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. I mean, you got to get this. In a very real way, God paused the end of, of, of this present age. God paused the final day and the judgment of evil, the full judgment of evil, in order that you might know him. I mean, th that is a profound thought. Thousands of years have passed since Adam and Eve fell in that garden. Even since Jesus, thousands of years have passed. But look what it says there. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. This is not only God in control, this is a good God in control. He has extended the end that you might know him, worship him, serve him, and enjoy him for eternity. What a good God. Again, people say, how could a good sovereign God let all this evil happen? Count this patience. It is patience. God's dealing with evil, patient with all this. Count it as salvation. It's a beautiful thing that God has extended the end because I get to know him. You get to know him. This is absolutely amazing. By the way, I want to point out, I don't have it uh, in a slide, but if you look in your Bible, chapter 10, verse 1, then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them. I mean, that, that's a pretty strong statement. I have set Pharaoh and his servants in their evil ways. He didn't make them evil. He doesn't tempt them to do evil, but he has hardened them, set them in their ways, that I may show these signs of mine among them. Wow. What we're experiencing now is God extending the end in patience, in love, in kindness towards those who will believe upon him. He's showing his power that we might come to repentance. And by the way, I want to mention for you the fact that the end hasn't come yet is good for you even if you're not saved. Because today can be that day for you. Today can be the day you say, okay, I'm done living for myself. I see what this end will be like. I see the horror of being judged by a just and holy God. I see the horror of missing out on this awesome God. I wanna trust in Jesus. The patience of God can be your salvation today. But there is one more thing. God gives us this salvation. He makes us his people as he extends the end, but there's one more thing we need to see. Number three, the end is purposeful. It's a play on words. <laughs> it's not, anyway, it's purposeful, meaning that it is filled with purpose. The fact that this end is extended 
is absolutely filled with purpose for us, God's people. This is true for Israel and it is absolutely true for us. See, God doesn't want the Israelites to just get saved and then just go about their lives like normal. He has a purpose for them. What's that purpose? Well, he gave it back in 916, the whole reason he's doing this, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. I mean, just think about it. Pharaoh is gonna be dead soon. He's gonna be at the bottom of the Red Sea. He's not gonna do much proclaiming. The, the, the other Egyptian soldiers, they're not gonna do much proclaiming. Who is gonna do the proclaiming about the glory of God? It's supposed to be the Israelites. It's supposed to be the, the Israelites. Now we see this uh, later. God will say in chapter 19, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you up on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among the peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. So all of Israel, all the Israelites, God's chosen people, the people that are brought to know him and his salvation have become a kingdom of priests. What does a priest do? A priest is an intermediary between God and man. A priest talks to God and the priest talks to the man and he makes peace between them. He reconciles them. And that is what Israel was to be, a kingdom of priests. They were to proclaim his name in all the earth as that intermediary between God and man. Now, there will later be a priestly system because Israel will fail quite miserably at this. But suffice it to say, this, is, this was their purpose. I, I bore you up on eagles' wings for you to be a kingdom of priests. You say, okay, well, that's a pretty tall order. Where do I start? I'm talking for Israel now. Where do we start doing this? Well, God showed them that. In chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, look, look at this. Chapter 10, 1 and 2, we already read uh, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart in the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done, done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Where is Israel to start? They're to start at home. They're to start with their families. You are, I've done this so that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson, all these amazing things I've done, the judgment poured out on Egypt, this great salvation, the signs and wonders God did. Why? That you may know that I am the Lord. I kind of want to bring this to us um, at the moment. God may not call all of us to be foreign missionaries. God may not call all of us to be, you know, traveling evangelists. Some of us would crumple up in a ball and cry if we felt we had to go knocking door to door, you know, and share the gospel. Some of us just aren't wired that way. 
But we all have our home. There are people we can share the gospel with. And, and if you have children, if you have grandchildren, if your friends have children and grandchildren, they need to hear. The glory of God needs to be proclaimed for them. The salvation and satisfaction of God needs to be proclaimed to them that they may know that he is the Lord. It starts at home. Now, for Christians, again, we, we pick up, we, we start at home, but, but where else do we go? Let me try to get to where I'm wanting to be. Jesus, of course, said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Pentata ethne, that is all peoples, all people groups. Go make disciples of them. Go and proclaim my excellencies to them. I have done all these wondrous things. I have extended the end, not just for your salvation, but for theirs. Now you remember, Israel was supposed to do this. Israel was supposed to do this. But we now, church, Christians, we now have this commission and the beautiful thing is, where Israel failed, we will certainly succeed. This will happen. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, all peoples. And then the end will come. God has extended the end so that we may know him, but not just so that we know him. We see how God has, has held us up on eagle's wings, how he has taken us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. And we proclaim his excellencies to all peoples, to all the nations. Again, it starts with our families, but it's got to spread out to our neighbors. It's got to spread out to our coworkers. It's got to spread out to the people, whoever God puts in our path, and for some of us, God is calling us to go to the nations. This was God's plan ever since the, the, this exodus. This is what was going to happen. His name would be proclaimed in all the earth. Israel failed, but the church will prevail. And it's not because we are so awesome. It's not because we are so skilled. Know this verse well, Acts 1.8. But you, Christians, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The reason we will be successful at proclaiming the excellencies of God, as God has extended the end that people might know him, the reason we will be successful is because we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the Holy Spirit empowering us. We have the Holy Spirit, by the way, convicting us if we're not doing it. And I, I hope the Holy Spirit makes us uncomfortable. I ask God to make me uncomfortable if I'm not doing what he's called us to do. If I'm not living out my end time purpose, the reason he has extended the very end, if I'm not doing that, I want God to make me uncomfortable. I want him to make you uncomfortable. 
Because there is great joy in obedience. There is great fulfillment in obedience. And God is glorified as we obey this purpose we've been given to make his name known in our families. I pray you do it. I pray you give yourself to letting your children and your grandchildren know Jesus, but also that you would give yourself to making sure your neighbors and the nations know him. We do not have to be afraid. Our God has been triumphant in Christ and he will be triumphant in Christ in the end when he comes back, not as a suffering servant, but on that white horse. I mean, he's, he's gonna come back, re read about Ar the Armageddon, just a sword out of his mouth and psh, enemies are gone. We can have peace, but peace isn't all God wants us to have. He wants us to have purpose, to live for his glory. And so during this time of prayer, just pray with me. Pray, pray that God will help you to feel that peace, even though you turn on the news and it's crazy, that he'll give you that peace, that the end is sure, that the, what really matters cannot be changed, cannot be shaken, but then that he would help you to live with purpose. So pray with me now. Father God, Oh, we are so thankful for the Exodus. We're thankful that we get to see what you did there, the way that you dealt with sin and with evil, to maybe be confused in the middle and wonder, why are you letting this keep going? Why aren't you just doing it? But then you bothered to explain it to, the, to us. For this purpose I have raised you up. I've hardened Pharaoh's heart. Put your glory on display and that your name may be spread. Oh God, thank you for this message. God, I want to pray right now for any in this room who are going to be on the wrong side of the end. My, my heart beats a little faster thinking about that happening to anyone in this room or anyone watching on Zoom that your judgment would be poured out on them in full, even though Christ Jesus has already taken the wrath and we can trust in him. We can have forgiveness, we can have right relationship, we can live a life of peace, a life of purpose for your glory. Oh God, if there is anyone in this room who hasn't yet trusted you, help them to bow the knee now, saying, you are Lord. I want you to take control of my life I want you to save me, forgive my sins, and help me to live differently now and for eternity. I want to know you. I want to enjoy you. And God, for my, my friends and for myself that have already trusted in you, God, help us to live in peace. It is so easy for us to be shaken by what's going on in this world. But God, you have already told us how it's going to end. We can have peace, that you are in control and that every moment is going exactly as you have decreed it would go. And God, with that peace, help us not to be selfish. Help us not to be cowardly and hold this information to ourselves. Help us to share the glory of who you are with all those we can. God, our families, let us 
make sure our kids know about you. Let, let us make sure our kids see your work in our life, our joy, our hope, our peace, our righteousness lived out. And God, would you help us to make whatever sacrifices are necessary to reach not only our neighbors, but the nations, knowing that this investment in your kingdom is a sure one because the nations will hear. People will trust in Jesus and then the end will come. And what a glorious end it will be for those who have trusted in your name. Lord, I pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our King, who lives victorious. Amen. Amen. Let's rise together and I invite.